Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible teacher, therapist, and author, John Prendergast. Hello, John, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Zach. Our topic for today is John's unique concept of the deep heart, as elaborated on in his new book of the same name. But before we get into that, let's learn a little bit more about John. For those that don't know, John Prendergast, Ph.D., is a spiritual teacher, retired adjunct professor of psychology, psychotherapist, and author of In Touch and his latest book, The Deep Heart. His books invite readers on a pilgrimage within, using the heart as a portal to their deepest psychological and spiritual nature. John is also the senior editor of The Sacred Mirror and Listening from the Heart of Silence. John now offers residential and online retreats throughout the U.S. and Europe. Hi, John. How are you doing today? I'm really well. Thank you. I'm such a big fan of your work, John. I've been following it for years. I know many years ago you did a workshop for our Learn to Love series, and I really appreciate how you have a foot in both worlds, both in the healing and growth world of psychology and therapy, but also in the transformational world of meditation and self-inquiry. So I'd love to first talk about your approach to therapy Some might call it non-dual or sacred or spiritual therapy. How about you tell our listeners a little bit about your approach to healing? Well, it's actually a little difficult to define, and I (laughs) I usually avoid trying to put a label on it because it's very kind of in the moment and experiential and in-depth. But if I had to call it something, I would say it's presence-based therapy. Um, That is to say, the accent is really on recognition of the foundational nature of awareness, uh, both Mm -hmm. on the part of the therapist and the client. So it's uh, distinct from present-centered approaches, which really emphasize kind of careful, open, affectionate attention to present experience, which is beautiful and important. But a presence-based approach really accents awareness itself as an open, lucid, loving field of awareness and mm. encourages uh, it's it's a background awareness and so to work from it and to artfully invoke it is an important part of my approach and i also work very carefully with the body uh, the body is uh, as you know a very sensitive instrument and the more we attune with it the more we can actually kind of attune with this deeper background awareness too mm. So where do you even begin sort of tuning into the presence, like with a client? Well, sometimes we may just begin with a minute or two of silence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the invitation is just to let everything go and uh, arrive in the present moment mm-hmm. uh, to one's present sens- sensory experience and take a few deep breaths and have one's eyes close or be a little bit, you know, slightly open. And let attention drop down and in 
to the interior of the body mm -hmm. and, and to feel oneself held first, perhaps by gravity um, and to relax and then to feel oneself held by something greater and feel oneself relaxing in and as that. So that's sometimes we'll start with a quiet meditation. Sometimes there'll be um, a minute or two of just uh, meditative gazing where we'll mm -hmm. both relax and attune and kind of receive the others through a, a very relaxed, receptive gaze. Uh, that has a way of really allowing attention to drop down and in. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes we'll just work with where people are and, and um, that background awareness will just uh, kind of naturally emerge at times. And when it does, we'll slow down and pay attention to it. Mm. And when you do that, what kind of a shift do you see in your client? Because it seems like almost a bit of a departure from, you know, what a lot of people do as soon as you step into the therapist's office is you go right into the problems or right into the issues that's coming up with a person's life. So what happens in that shift from, okay, let's go right into the problems and the issues and the trauma to actually, let's slow down, let's breathe, let's feel into our bodies? Well, what happens is, we begin to explore the nature of the storyteller, uh, the apparent problem holder. Hmm. And what we're doing is actually tapping into the deepest resource that's available in all of us, which is this field of loving awareness. So in psychological terms, we could say we're resourcing first, and we're actually tapping into the deepest and most powerful resource that we all have, which is this field of awareness. And then from that, it's like, okay, what is it that's wanting attention? You know, what part of our conditioning of our body-mind experience is really wanting to come into awareness and be met from a place of clarity and kindness and, and open awareness? So um, we, we start from that openness. We start from that very grounded and loving space. And, and so mm. it's a much more actually direct and spontaneous work way of working with whatever issues need attention. That's beautiful. I just love this call to presence and this call to the depths of our being. And I feel like that ties into this idea of the deep heart. And you describe your book as an invitation for people to dive into the heart of who they really are and getting in touch with this presence. Now, before we talk about this presence, my first question is, why don't we know who we are? Don't people know exactly who they are? You know, they have their identification card and their... they do. <laughs> and, and we get very nervous when we lose it, right? <laughs> we, we cling to it. So yeah, this is a, this is a developmental process, actually. I mean, I think as children, you know, when you hang out with really young children, you know, a year or two, three years old, there's, there's very little in the way of self identity and there's just, they're full of curiosity and, openness and love and spontaneity as they explore their world. And you could, you just look in their eyes and there's just such a depth and openness. And then gradually, and part of this is just natural, uh, we begin to form a, const a construct, an identity, uh, a story, an image about ourselves. And if we're lucky, if we have parents who are attuned and caring, who are able to set boundaries but also support and encourage us and see us in a deep way, then that identity process, identification process, is fairly um, benign. Mm -hmm. But if we're not so lucky, and most of us are not, uh, often we begin to internalize uh, images and stories and 
but there are feelings that go with it, uh, often very difficult feelings of shame or guilt, uh, sense of unworthiness and beliefs of being unlovable. We create a subconscious construct also and, and try to compensate for that. And it becomes very heavy, it creates a lot of suffering. So mm-hmm. usually at some point when we're adults, we begin to, all of this is kind of developmentally inevitable as human beings. So we forget, you know, we forget who we are. Mm-hmm. We lose touch with that innocence. We lose touch with that sense of communion and wholeness, uh, vibrant aliveness and realness. And it begins to dim, you know, and if we've been mm-hmm. exposed to trauma or really poor attachment in parenting, then it dims considerably. We really lose touch in a, in a very significant way with, mm-hmm. with, with that, with those essential qualities of being. Mm-hmm. And, and then as adults, we begin to turn and face our conditioning, whether it's light or difficult, and begin to see through it. And as we do, we recover um, those essential qualities of being, or a sense of natural openness and, and freedom and connection. Uh, hmm. which we experienced unknowingly, you know, as children. So uh, we, you know, the, the ego, you know, the ego meaning our image or story of ourself begins to lighten, begins to clarify, uh, becomes more flexible and, mm-hmm. and adaptive. And we, fe- we start feeling more alive and more authentic and more real and mm. tap into, you know, the core of who we really are. So, you know, it seems like an inevitable developmental process. Most people don't take that next step of really deeply questioning who they've thought they were and all the feelings and sensations that go with that. And that's really the domain of, um, you know, more contemplative and spiritual approaches. Mm-hmm. So we don't know who we are, essentially because it's been forgotten, but mm-hmm. also sort of covered up mm-hmm. by conditioning both so when we do become adults like as part of this developmental process who do we think we are yes who do you think (laughs) you are zach (laughs) so 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 you know we can take ourselves as examples right as people Uh listen in so we've been given a name tag so you know zach or john so we identify with that Uh, we identify with these physical bodies uh, and say, you know, this is who I am, pointing to our body. Mm. Of course, our body is very different now than it was as, as, as a child. And we have very few cells of the original cells. And yet there is some set, there's a deep sense of identification with our body. There's a deep sense of identification with our personality, kind of our way of being, our temperament in the world. We're very identified with these um, psychological stories, our conditioning, often mm-hmm. constellating around stories of lacking or being um, mm-hmm. flawed in some way. These are very compelling stories and, and create a lot of suffering. We identify with being a separate self. Sep- you know, Obviously, we're distinct and individuated, but we also feel alienated and disconnected, and we identify with that. And um, we identify with our gender, with our sexual orientation, with our ethnicity, our race, our class, our mm. you know national and group affiliations. All of these, you know, many of them subconscious, uh, some of them unconscious, some of them conscious, and so it's quite a complex process of, of identification. And, and we think and feel this is who I am. Mm. This is, and it is relative. They have a relative truth. You know, all of them. Uh, are not completely untrue, but they're not completely true. 
either. Mm -hmm. And so it's really our willingness to question and see through these relative identifications, often through meditation or meditative inquiry, and sometimes just through the rigors of our life, we realize that there is a deeper truth in the core mm -hmm. of our being. And uh, we begin to question more deeply, who am I, really? Mm. So we think that we are this separate self, this physical identity. And now I'm hearing that that's not the case from you. It reminds me of one time I was in my own lecture, and I told some students that you are more than your thoughts, and you are more than just your emotions. And then one student raised uh, her hand, and she said, if I'm more than my thoughts, then who am I? And I was like, that's an excellent question. So tell us, John, if we're not the separate self, if we're not who we think we are, then who are we really? Well, what I would say, rather than trying to formulate an answer, or at least at first, is the actual importance of sitting with that question. Hmm. In other words, if we really want to know, this is what's important. Like if we don't approach it kind of as a kind of philosophic question or just mm -hmm. on a conceptual level, but if we're really, if something in us senses that we are more than we have taken ourselves to be, then this question becomes a living question and uh, we sit with it. We, and when we sit with it, it's not that we're trying to think it through analytically because we'll just get more thoughts about it. This is not about, you know, philosophically or analytically understanding. It's, it's a more intuitive process. So, for instance, for those of you who are listeners who are really want to know, you know, they have an intuition that there is a deeper dimension of themselves and they're really interested mm -hmm. in contacting that consciously. It's very interesting to let attention fall into the heart area and mm. then pose a question like, who am I really? Or who or what am I really? And then to be quiet. You know, it's like not to go to the mind for an answer mm. and, and just be quiet and receptive. And when we do, we're opening to a different dimension. We're actually opening to that dimension that we're most interested in, which is more immediate intuitive and available when we begin to listen and if we really want to know what's true. And a response may come. Very often, uh, we come to an I don't know. Hmm. I don't know who hmm. I am. And this is a very honest answer and a very sobering one because, you know, we thought we did. It's like, well, then who am I really? Now we're into a different level of investigation and inquiry. And things begin, well, I say things, it's really not a thing, but a response begins to upwell from the depth of our being. Mm -hmm. And it will vary according to the person who's engaged in this kind of inquiry. But it will have a sense of something very alive, something mm -hmm. very open, something very mysterious. That is to say, mysterious in the sense that we're unable to actually define it with words mm -hmm. or understanding. Mm -hmm. But it's felt as, we could say, a presence, not mm. as a foreign presence, not as other, but something upwelling as if from the very core of our being. Mm. You know, sometimes I speak of it as heart wisdom. This is a kind of inner knowing mm -hmm. and feeling and sense of existing that is quietly in the background and ordinarily out of awareness because we're very identified with our thinking. 
So mm. if we shift our attention, and this is really the key here, we shift attention away from our ordinary thinking and into a silent receptivity and a willingness to not know. If we're really willing to not know and be open, we open to this other dimension and it begins to reveal itself often as a felt sense. Mm. Yes, you talk about this pilgrimage from the head to the heart in your book. And that's what I'm hearing from you now is that when we decide on an identity and we decide on a story and we believe the stories that we tell ourselves, we get caught up in this separate sense of self. And the answer lies in the heart, okay. in this deeper sense of knowing that can so easily go beyond this realm of language. So I really enjoyed reading your book. It's both simultaneously a quick and accessible read almost for anyone to pick up, but it's also an invitation to really slow down. I feel like almost every sentence is an opening to a deeper understanding. So tell us more about what is this deep heart that you speak of? What is this heart wisdom? Well, this this comes from my own um, inner exploration, that is to say my own subjective experience, but also from 40 years of working with people one-on-one and and in groups as we've explored these kind of existential questions. You know, it's like, what is the most important thing? And who Mm -hmm. am I, really? And when people begin to really enter into an authentic and, and deep investigation into who they really are, and also into their deepest feeling, attention tends to drop into the heart area. And this is when I say the heart area, I mean the center of the chest. And what's been really interesting over the years is, as I've worked with people, is I've come to discover that the heart area has this remarkable depth to it. Mm. Um, Many people are out of touch with their hearts, uh, either because of their conditioning or because of their education. So it's kind of a discovery to realize that there's this center of sensitivity, uh, feeling sensitivity, emotional sensitivity, but but also a sense of being and a sense of knowing that radiates in the center of the chest. And mm. if if you know conditioning has been very painful and difficult, this area can feel numb and inaccessible at first, and and often beneath the numbness, there's uh, a lot of painful feelings, which is why it's been numbed. It was really overwhelming and difficult to deal with. So a lot of psychological work and therapy is about getting in touch with those feelings and, and the old stories that we learned or told ourselves um, that accompany them and to rework them into a kinder narrative, more accurate narrative, and to begin to tolerate and integrate those feelings. But that's just one dimension. That's the psychological dimension of heart and and as that begins to kind of resolve and integrate more, people discover a deeper dimension still, which is more that kind of innocence and openness that we were talking about earlier, a sense of delight, a capacity to, to love in a very pure and very open-hearted way, not just with one person, but in a more generalized way, that kind of openness of heart towards life and this is a more, as we get more in touch with the inner child and those essential qualities of being, we're tapping into a soul level. And this is a level that some therapists are in touch with and others are not, depending on the depth of their own understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly Jung and his followers and 
people who do medicine journeys and shamanic work and transpersonal psychotherapists and really attuned depth therapists of any kind um, do know experientially. And it's very precious when, when this level of the heart opens very, and it's felt as a kind of deeper, further back in the heart area. There's a f- feeling of often tremendous gratitude and appreciation mm. that wells up. And gratitude for life, really. Mm. And when people meet on this level, it's so beautiful. I mean, it's just such a deeply nourishing and touching way. And I know this is, you know, this is what your work is about, Zach, to illuminate this um, capacity that we all have and to share it, to mm-hmm. live from this love more consciously and openly. And it's really, it's, it's so beautiful to, to touch mm-hmm. this level. What's interesting is that, is that there's a deeper dimension still. This level of the soul, what I'm calling the soul poetically, has a personal, like it's individualized. It has a personal dimension to it. Um, very, there's a distinct sense uh, that everyone has, distinctive sense of this in themselves. But if we go back even further, and this is a sense of like the back of the heart area opening up, we open in, up into a universal field of loving awareness that is um, beyond personal. We could call it transpersonal, or we could call it a dimension of transpersonal or impersonal, although that word is often has a, some connotation of cruelness or uncaring, but it's not the case at all. It's, it's opening to an enormous, actually vast field of loving awareness, mm. a universal love, uh, the great heart, I sometimes call it. And here we feel a sense of non-separateness with the whole of life. Uh, we, sense, mm. we have a sense of our own intrinsic wholeness that's always been here prior to our conditioning. And we have a, when it really matures and comes into full awareness, we have a sense of communion with the whole of life. And mm. um, So my words just stopped <laughs> at that point, where we become wordless in, in this dimension of loving, knowing, being. Mm. Yes, you use a really beautiful metaphor to describe um, what you're talking about right now uh, in your book of the wave in the ocean. And you say that the tip of the wave is kind of our egoic identity, the small identities that we get caught up in in the mind. And you go farther down the wave towards the ocean and you meet the soul. And then you finally find this ocean of beingness. So tell us more about that that final step, that ocean of beingness, that opening up? Well, this is something, you know, I had certainly read about and, and I had felt I had felt when I was with my main teachers, but not something that I knew experientially, maybe until about 15 years ago. I was on retreat with Adyashanti, who's my second main teacher at Mount Madonna in south of Santa Cruz, in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And near the end of the retreat, and I was sitting in a garden overlooking the Monterey Bay and just in a very quiet, open state, and suddenly it felt like there was no one here. Uh, I mean, there was mm. a very light sense of self before, but the, as, as if my head dissolved, and, and there was a sudden realizing that what was being seen, that is to say, objects of awareness, the ocean, the forest, the fields, the garden, and the seer, the apparent separate self, 
were the same. It's very, mm. it's very hard to put this into words, but there was a dissolving of a separate seer and a separate scene, and there was a knowing that it is all made of the same substance. That it, if we had a word for it, it would be consciousness or awareness, and it was such a profound and visceral realization that mm. um, that literally my jaw dropped. It just like fell open. And it, mm, as, wow. and it was as if the great secret of life revealed itself. It's like, it is all love. It's like, I am love. It is love. Everything is made out of this loving, conscious awareness. Mm-hmm. So this is the revelation, I would say, of the awakened heart. It's our nature. It's the nature of everyone and everything. Mm. Um, and the more that we attune with this, and it's not a matter of, of effort. It's not like we have to work hard, but we do need to listen carefully. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and our love for the truth, our devotion to what's most real actually comes from this. And mm-hmm. we, we trust it, we follow it, we give ourselves to it. And, and as we do, we enter into an ever increasing intimacy with this quality of being and loving and feeling and knowing awareness. And it comes more into the foreground of awareness and it becomes more our living reality. I think that's why we're here, Zach. I think this is why mm-hmm. we're here as human beings, is mm-hmm. to recognize this and live from this uh, in our ordinary life, to realize that, yes, you know, we are these highly individuated, uh, distinct beings that have these deep currents of soulful aliveness within us, and that we are unimaginably um, not just interconnected, but in communion with the whole of life. That would be the oceanic part of this metaphor. So mm-hmm. yes, we are the wave tip as, as an apparent separate self, and we are a soulful being that can live highly creative and meaningful, powerful, loving lives, That's, mm. and, and that we are not separate from anything or anyone. That's, that's the ocean. I totally agree with you. I totally agree that this is why we are here on this earth, in order to wake up to the deep heart, in order to tap into our inner knowing that brings an open-heartedness and a spaciousness and a groundedness that you also mentioned in your book. But I also realize this is hard, right? This is a hard path to walk. And I appreciate earlier you bringing up the pain that we sometimes feel in our heart or the tenderness that we might feel. And you also say in your book that we most guard and most want our heart to open because it's the same place where we are most touched and most wounded. So what you describe is so beautiful, right? This this connection with all that is, this inner knowing and this open-heartedness. But I imagine there's many obstacles uh, on the way, you know, for the average person. So what are we to do about these wounds? What are we to do about these tenderness? You know, as a listener, maybe I'm feeling quite closed down or quite separate or quite alone and and feeling like I have my own, you know, pain that is mine, mine alone to feel. How do we get over some of these obstacles? How do we start on this path? Well, um, you know, the way is through. Hmm. So, I mean, very often in spiritual approaches, uh, you know, the way is to kind of step back or rise above 
And that can be temporarily um, very helpful, um, but incomplete. And what I found in my work with people is that sooner or later, we have to actually face our conditioning. And to face it means mm -hmm. to feel it and to sense it in our bodies and to investigate what kind of beliefs have been created, often subconscious, that go with them and sometimes hold them, these complexes, in place. So um, we need to, instead of distract ourselves and numb ourselves, we begin to turn toward that which we, we've been avoiding, that which felt too mm -hmm. difficult to deal with when we were young, that which felt intolerable in terms of uh, emotional pain and suffering, because we understand that this is part of the process, that we actually need to face our experience. But how we do that is really important. Uh, because if we approach our conditioning and our suffering and, and our distress from the point of view of the mind, then we'll want to try to get rid of it. And right. if we're trying to get rid of it, we will engender resistance, just as if we're you know, inviting a guest into our home with the hope that they'll leave as soon as possible. The, the, <laughs> the vibe won't be good. <laughs> There's going to be a, a very uncomfortable meeting. Mm. <laughs> so, but if we, if we are kind of curious and affectionate and, and if we're willing to be intimate with our experience rather than trying mm. to change it, this is really important. Uh, and something in us, the core of our being, actually is willing to be intimate with our experience. Mm -hmm. And simply be curious, like, what am I feeling? What am I sensing? What, do, what stories do I tell myself? What core limiting beliefs have I created? And so we, we approach our experience with curiosity, with kindness, with affection, mm -hmm. uh, from, and as much as possible from spacious presence that we were talking about initially. And so we become, it's like we breathe in we, we feel our feelings, we sense and breathe into them, and we're curious. It's like, what is this? And, and mm -hmm. what's in the very center or core of this? And are, is there a belief that goes with this distressing feeling? And, and mm -hmm. I'd like to start with the body. Like, mm -hmm. if, you're, if your listeners are feeling you know, emotionally distressed, it's like, oh, so where in the body are you experiencing that? Is there mm -hmm. a center of it? You know, it might be in the heart area, it might be in the gut or the throat or could be anywhere, you know. And so I would invite them to just, okay, just be with that, not trying to change it, accept it as it is. And I invite you to breathe into it and hmm. feel into it just for a minute or two and just describe, you know, this experience. And for people who are not in touch with their feelings, it's good to know what the feelings are. You know, to be able to identify them, it's like, oh, yes, this is shame. Oh, yes, this is rage. You know, or this is a sense of unworthiness or um, sadness, you know, hmm. uh, whatever it may be. And then once you have the label, let it go and just experience it as pure sensation. You know, so you're an explorer now. And if it gets too overwhelming, then you step back. You know, you resource yourself. You take a walk. You look at something beautiful, you find an area of your body that's relaxed. And, and then when you feel resourced, you come back to this exploration. So it's mm -hmm. not, it's, in a way it's challenging, but it's not necessarily hard work. Mm. It's engaging work. 
it can be challenging, particularly when we're dealing with trauma, and in which case it's good to you know deal have someone help you if it's really strong trauma or take it slow and with great compassion. Because if mm-hmm. we've been deeply wounded, it's going to take a while uh, for that conditioning to unwind. And so we, we give ourselves space just to have our experience. And, and, you know, we don't set a rigid timetable for uh, working with it. It's a process. So gradually what happens as we become more intimate and affectionate and curious with our experience, it begins to melt. It begins to relax. It begins to integrate. It begins to soften. These are words that people often use in their experience. So these small shifts Mm -hmm. that happen. And with that, they're accompanied with a sense of more aliveness, more openness, uh, more conscious awareness. In this way, we work with our contraction and our suffering. And and it begins to soften and and integrate. Mm. I really appreciate that approach that the only way out is through. And I can imagine, you know, all the ways that we run away from or distract ourselves from the healing that we need to do. You know, some people numb themselves with substances or food or all these different coping mechanisms that we as human beings reach to. And rather than numbing or distancing, we become intimate with our experience. And I really appreciate you bringing bringing up the body. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about the gut, because you describe the gut uh, in your book as sort of the missing piece. And a lot of people, they talk about the mind and how the mind can be a good slave, but a terrible master, and how beautiful it is to live in the heart. But then you bring another third dimension to think about. So tell us about what role you see the gut in playing in our sort of path of healing and how might we get in touch with it? Well, the gut is foundational. Um, this is, by the gut, I mean, you know, the stomach, the whole abdo- abdominal area. So this is solar plexus down into the pelvic bowl. And uh, the Japanese word for, for the gut or the belly is the hara. So the hara is a more instinctual area. Uh, it includes certainly feelings, but also very very core themes of interpersonal power, sexuality, mm. and survival above all. And as biological organisms, we're very organized around surviving, you know, avoiding pain and, and enhancing pleasure. And, and when we feel threatened, we have these very visceral unconscious responses to protect ourselves. So the whole issue of safety and belonging and, you know, in terms mm. of groups and and just a sense of uh, our own ground are very, very important. And so as it relates to the heart, we can certainly open our heart, open our hearts. Maybe we trust certain people, a few people, or we've had epiphanies and under certain you know, unusual circumstances, our, our hearts have, have opened. But mm-hmm. unless we feel a very core sense of safety, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when we're with others, but just towards life in general, it's actually very challenging to sustain an open-heartedness. And this is mm-hmm. where the hara comes in, because as the hara becomes more conscious, we actually begin to feel a kind of radiance in the, the belly area as it comes online consciously. We also feel a more intimate contact with the ground. 
And the ground itself is multidimensional. What I mean by that is that there's a physical dimension to it, just the sense of being in touch with physical objects and feeling the gravity of the earth and things of mm -hmm. that sort. That's a certain level of the ground, a physical level. But there's a deeper, deeper level of the ground, which is more archetypal. This is similar to the soul level and the heart. And we contact or can contact kind of an underworld or an underground dimension of the psyche. And this is the, the hero's or heroine's journey that Joseph Campbell spoke about. Shamanic journeys are often underworld in their this kind of deep subjectivity where you contact healing resources and old wounds and mm -hmm. gather allies and resources and and bring them back to the you know to the conscious level and to the greater community this is mm -hmm. an archetypal level very profound and then there is a ground that is just the ground of the deepest reality the ground of being you could say mm -hmm. and again this is a kind of portal to this field, vast, actually infinite field of, of um, conscious awareness. And when, as we, I, I, not when so much, but as we open to this deeper dimension that's felt as, a, as this openness, often we feel it below the body, um, which is why I think the word ground is, is used, at least initially. It's also extremely spacious. So it's very, mm -hmm. it's, the, the, the language is very paradoxical. It feels extremely solid. That is to say, um, we feel some, a deep steadiness, something that holds us, that is a sense that all is well, no matter what. So there's a profound sense of stability, but it's very open and very spacious. Mm -hmm. And the more that this kind of comes online consciously, the more the heart feels safe to open. And, and mm. remain open in a sustained way. So this is why, um, and this is not an original teaching on my part, but it's so important to have a clear mind, to not get mm -hmm. caught in our stories, to have an open heart, and to have this sense of uh, open, spacious groundedness as well. And, and so, mm. um, you know, we are, we are whole beings, and, and our bodies have these different dimensions of mental, emotional, mm -hmm. and instinctual. And what's so interesting about the body is it's not what we think it is. I mean, clearly it has a mm. physical dimension, anatomy, physiology, all these various systems, and you know, hormonal and neurological, that's all true. But when we actually subjectively go into the experience of the body, the felt sense of the body, we feel it as energy, as this kind of vibrant mm. field. So, and the boundary of the body becomes more diffuse. It's not as hard as the skin or the physical body. We begin to feel as if actually the body fills uh, much more space. And the sense of space and the sense of vibrancy and the sense of energy comes online more consciously. Mm. And so our sense of the body uh, opens up. This is the interesting thing, I, the point that I wanted to make here, is we actually feel more in our body, and yet the body becomes more translucent more a body of energy, uh, hmm. more a body of openness. And, and we begin to, as this happens, we begin to feel the world this way as well, the world as something alive and vibrant in the same way that the body is. Hmm. That's such a wonderful approach. It reminds me of two things. One is the quote you probably have heard of by Zen Master Dogen, who describes enlightenment as intimacy with all things. Yes. 
And I just feel like you're just describing us as this, this meeting, this uh, care and affection towards all the aspects of our experience. And I also feel like you're tapping into this very sort of basic idea that we sort of have everything that we need already within us. You describe the heart as a place of spaciousness and aliveness and the gut as a form of safety and security. And in shifting away from realizing we don't know who we are is even this body, which seems very clear, like I can see my body and the skin and I can feel it. But also we don't even know what our body is. And once we actually feel into the true nature of our body, we experience the world in a whole new way. That's it. Yeah. And that, mm. that quote by Dogen is uh, very relevant. It's the intimacy with all things. So we we become intimate, more conscious of our own uh, experience of our bodies and our minds, and it opens up and mm. and transposes to others and to the world. And we do feel that great sense of intimacy and and awe mm. and love. And it's very poignant because there's there's also we feel the suffering um, mm -hmm. of not only humans but uh, other beings, and um, we're sensitive to the planet and mm. the really terrible distress that um, the biological systems are undergoing right now. So we tap into an implicit sense of wholeness and completeness and sense mm -hmm. that everything that we deeply need is already within us. And this brings a sense of freedom, but it also gives us a sense of um, responsiveness. We're not uh, withdrawing into some subjective space from life we're actually opening engaging more deeply into an essential life and and this may move us then to to act from compassion and generosity mm. um, towards our fellow beings mm. that's so beautiful john i feel like i could just hear you talk about the mind and the heart and even your voice just puts me in a state of meditation and I don't know how it happened, but we're already running out of time. And uh, there's more questions I wanted to ask you, but you're just going to have to come back at some point in the show in the future so we can tackle some more of these beautiful and wonderful subjects. Well, I'd be happy to. And I was wondering if you could just close out uh, this podcast with a short meditation. In your book, you have many beautiful meditative inquiries and questions and reflections. So I was hoping you could just pick one that seems relevant or one that feels called to you and, and, and guide us okay. through it. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So maybe we'll just start with the first meditation in the book, which is tending the heart, a variation on that. And, and by the way, for your listeners who are interested in this approach, um, if you would rather have an audiobook, that's now available too. So you can actually hmm. hear the guided meditations. Um, in my voice rather than trying to, you know, figure it out on your own. So uh, I invite your listeners, if they're not already uh, doing so, to sit uh, comfortably upright with their feet on the floor. Take a few deep breaths. Let your attention drop down. The forehead relax, the eyes relax. There's no problem to solve right now. 
let attention drop down into the center of your chest. And you may want to put a hand over the center of your chest. This can help anchor attention. And imagine that you can breathe directly into and out from this area. So you're beginning to sense into the heart area. And each breath brings your attention a little more deeply into the interior of the heart area. And I invite you to think of someone or something that you feel grateful toward. Someone or something that evokes a feeling of gratitude. It might be beauty. be kindness of someone. Give your sense to this, your attention to this sense of gratitude. Let go of the object of your gratitude and just stay with the feeling. Follow it back. That is to say, let it take your attention even more deeply into the heart area. Just the pure feeling of gratitude. Perhaps to the gratitude of being simply being awake and alive. So resting back, falling back into the deep heart. Grateful simply be. And this depth, this simplicity, this innocence, this openness, this love is always in you, regardless of your conditioning or even your access to it. Because it is who you really are. And it awaits your conscious attunement and recognition. Stay with this deep sense of feeling, 
knowing and being for as long as you like. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. I just, as I, you were guiding us through that, I could feel a smile on my face just getting wider and wider and wider. And then I was like, why are my cheeks hurting right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's contagious. <laughs> this is contagious ease. <laughs> Um, thank you so much, John. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, how do our listeners find you and get in touch with you? Uh, easiest would be to go to my website at uh, www.listeningfromsilence, all one word, dot com. Mm -hmm. And um, you can sign up for my newsletter or check my schedule, the page for schedule of events. I do, uh, I'll be doing retreats around the U.S. and I planned to do one in Amsterdam this year, but of course hmm. canceled with all the, the pandemic. So, um, but I will be offering retreats online and in person. And um, hmm. the books are a good way to start with the deep heart or in touch. And uh, I have a YouTube channel as well with some videos and a media page with a number of videos as well. So those are good resources. Thanks again, John, for coming on to the show. I really enjoyed everything you had to say. I'll continue to meditate on my own deep heart. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on the show. I hope you know that whatever it is that you're going through, that you're not alone, and that inside you is a deep heart full of all the love and all the light and all the spaciousness and aliveness and groundedness that you deserve. So don't forget to breathe, don't forget to feel into your body, and don't forget to tune in to your true nature, the deep heart. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 